you have a lot of talk right now in Europe and in the United States about going to a CBDC. And it just recently in the past week's news, we have two stories that I found really interesting coming together. Um, one of them was the head of the UN saying, we need to create a universal ID for people and we need to tag that to their bank accounts. I'm like, hold it, why do I want sure. the UN having a universal ID number for me and tagging it to my bank account. What the heck is that about? And then you had the IMF saying, we need to make sure that the central bank digital currencies that you know Europe's rolling out, the United States, others, that they're all integrated so that they will, you know, commerce can happen globally. It needs to be a global central bank digital currency system. Well, hold it, now you bring all that together, a, global central bank digital currency system welded together with a little tag to your bank account that's a lot of centralized control Welcome to another RTD interview. Today, I'm excited to have a returning guest, Mr. David Haggith, the economic researcher and blogger, formerly at the Great Recession blog. And today, he's joining us to share his thoughts on the current economic landscape, geopolitical issues, and a variety of other subjects. So, David, how are you doing, my friend? Good, Mike. It's good to hear you again. Yes, I'm excited to have you back on. As I mentioned uh, before we went to uh, start recording, I noticed that you're changing locations with your blog, and so I do follow you regularly. And so I was curious to find out what's going on with that because you do a good job of sharing your thoughts and analysis on what's happening in the world. So we'll definitely jump into that. But for those who may not know you, can you give us a brief background into how you got into writing and, and other things of that nature? Okay. So I wrote the Great Recession blog for, I don't know, 13 years, something like that. And I just switched over to thedailydoom.com. And, uh, because I'm going a little, the Great Recession kind of got to be a bit dated as a title. I mean, back when I started it, that's what I was writing about. So I wanted something a little less dated and uh, a little bit broader in the news that it covers than just economics. All right. So thank you for sharing that. So let's just dive right in. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on a variety of things because you do a good job of covering domestic events, international events, as well as uh, your thoughts on uh, a lot of, I would say, far left and out there topics as well, which definitely interests me. So we're going to get into that. Uh, but at this current moment from where you're sitting at and what you're currently writing on, what are some things that concerns you or things that really have you uh, really have your attention these days? Well, if we were to focus just on the realm of economics, then I'd say probably the big thing that's coming right up is the issuance of treasuries that's going to come out because we've got this big backlog of treasuries that, you know, we, we weren't funding the government for months and now they got to catch up on that and we have the fed no longer buying treasuries so we're going to have this huge flood of treasuries hitting the market and uh i think that you know that's going to be really difficult to absorb that's going to suck money out of bank reserves because when people buy treasuries they take their money out of their bank account and it goes directly from their bank's reserves into the federal reserve bank account for the federal government so bank reserves come down more. That creates more problems for the banks that are already having problems with their reserves. Treasury interest rates go up because the government has to attract more people to buy those bonds now that we're issuing a lot more of them to make up for lost time and the Fed isn't buying them. So interest rates go up. That produce, 
pushes bond prices down. That makes the bonds that are remaining in bank reserves go even lower in value than what they were when Silicon Valley Bank crashed and the other banks crashed. So it's going to probably make those problems worse than what they were. And, uh, you know, even Jamie Dimon has said that the next wave is, is coming in banks, that we're not done with this. So I think as those bank reserves become pushed down even further by the Fed's continued tightening, the bond situation, we're going to get into more bank problems. So that, I think, would be the biggest concern. Mm, more bank That's problems. That's going to be a concern so for stocks, because as those rates go up, they start competing against stocks. And as they start, you know, because they're offering a better risk-free rate, if you're just clipping coupons and collecting the interest and not, you know, trying to trade bonds, they offer a better rate than what you can get on stocks, perhaps, and certainly risk-free, especially because stocks are going to be going down anyway as that money gets sucked out of bank reserves. And now that means out of bank accounts, people have less money to invest in stocks because they're investing it into these treasuries. So you see the stocks start to go down in value as the treasury yields are going up because there's less liquidity out there for stocks because treasuries are sucking it their way. And they will pay whatever interest they have to. That's the thing. Is It doesn't matter how high the interest has to go. The government needs to fund its debt. So it's going to pay whatever interest it has to. So it sounds like you're describing one big doom loop of just <laughs> negative events all the way around. So there's no, there's no sigh of relief whatsoever in the fiscal realm uh, or the monetary realm. And so I guess this past uh, Fed meeting, they decided to, uh, I guess it was that pause or just, you know, not make it, not make any more additional hikes. But then again, they're talking about the need for more coming up. And so how are they going to just, how are they going to navigate all this? You know, it, it, and what will break, what will give in your opinion? Well, that's why I decided to go with thedailydoom.com because it's all doom loops now, you know? And this was a doom loop from the time the Fed created it. I mean, back when I started writing the Great Recession blog, I was laying out how the things they're doing just keep pushing the problem forward and making it bigger down the road. And we you know, heard our politicians constantly saying, well, you know, we're kicking the can down the road. Well, this is down the road. And so each thing the Fed does pushes the problem off, doesn't solve the problem of there being too much debt, piles up more debt because it entices it with these low interest rates. And uh, now we're raising interest rates. So that's compounding the problem hugely. So I don't see that the Fed has any end game here at all. So I don't see that the Fed's going to do anything that makes this better. It's just making it worse. And if you think the Fed can't be that dumb, well, then you just look at what the Fed already did when it created, you know, raised rates and didn't watch its banks closely enough to see what was happening. If anybody could watch the banks and see what the problem was, it was the Fed. They could have watched those bank reserves and said, hey, you've got way too much money, you know, put away in treasuries and those treasuries are going to be dropping in value. You need to change that. And they were aware of it, but they didn't force the change and they should have. So, you know, the very thing the Fed's supposed to watch over, they were blind to. So these are the guys we're trusting to resolve this problem? I don't think so. Right. And in the middle of all this happens to be the national, our national currency or the world reserve currency. And right. as a result of everything happening on this side, we've seen all the contagion effects from the banks to debt. And you just gave it a great synopsis of what all that entails. But then outside of this, on the Eastern Hemisphere, more and more nations seem more bold and courageous to begin 
I guess, de-dollarizing. That's become a more popular term these days, mm -hmm. but moving away or creating alternatives for themselves. And so it's like the more mess we create on this side, the more they're racing to get away from our mess, which happens to be the debt. And so I'm sure you follow the BRICS and all the Asian nations and all the alliances being formed right now. What are your thoughts on this? And, you know, whatever they're preparing for or building for, will they be able to accomplish it in time? before something breaks over here in reference to the debt and the dollar and things of that nature. Right. And I think that people aren't factoring, you know, I, because a lot of my writing goes in alternative press that leans heavily right and leans heavily anti-dollar and sometimes anti-US. I, I read a lot about how the dollar is going to be replaced by the ruble that's backed in gold or the yuan or some combination of it, you know, and the BRICS nations ganging up against it. And yeah, they're trying to do that. But the truth is, there's no straight line or easy path towards anything in economics. Everything, you know, as soon as you start doing one thing one way, somebody starts pushing back the other way. There are always countervailing forces. And it's not an easy thing to overtake the dollar. So, for example, you see China and Russia doing all they can with the BRICS nations to come up with a competing currency. But at the same time, you see that the Chinese yuan has gone down, down, down in value for seven straight months in a row now. They've tried multiple times to prop it up, and each prop works for all of five or six days, and then it's cascading down again. The dollar has gone up or down in value, but it depends on how much the Fed is tightening. You know, the more they tighten and raise interest, the more the dollar goes up, just like loose monetary policy takes the dollar down in value. So the thing to consider about this is you got kind of two ways we evaluate currencies, right? One is its buying power in its own economy, and we measure that against inflation. And there, all currencies pretty much are sinking. They're all losing buying power at a rapid rate all over the world. And then the other is currency exchange, which is the difference in value, of course, between you know, like the yuan and the dollar. And there, the dollar is going up. And you go, well, hey, the dollar is pretty strong and it's really good. Well, no, the dollar is weak. It's going down in terms of what it can buy. It's just the yuan's going down faster and the euro's going down faster and other things are going down. And so it's a case of, you know, the dollar is the best car in the junkyard. It's not like it's a, a good running, well-run operation, but it's the best thing out there going. And China's economy is struggling a lot. This is a, a you know damage China did to itself with these ridiculous lockdown policies, where they basically throttled their own economy for months and months on end, far beyond what anybody else in the world did. And you know we saw what damage that did to our economy when we locked down. Well, you know they did it way worse. So now they're paying for that damage. Their stocks are going down. They've fallen 20% since the beginning of the year. Ours have kind of recovered during that time. So there's there's no clear shot here for the yuan or the ruble to replace the dollar, at least anytime soon. You know, the ruble's got its own problems. And people say, well, look, the you know, the ruble recovered. Well, did it? The ruble's been taken off the market. So how can you compare? the value of a currency to another currency when it's not even in the market with that currency. I mean, there's some trading happening, but it's a low volume trading situation with the ruble compared to the dollar. I don't, you know, I don't know how you can compare that when you've taken the ruble off the market for most trades. So you don't have a, a fair or honest comparison there to really see how the ruble is doing. If you look at it in Russia's own economy, I think they're... Mm -hmm.
At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Last I read, I haven't read recently, but their their inflation was quite a bit worse than ours. Um, but, you know, that, I don't yeah. know where it is now. Now, how do you factor in the fact that you listed yeah. the yuan is not the strongest, the ruble is limited in nature, not being accessible in a lot of markets. And so the BRICS apparently are talking about an alternative currency, assuming they're doing a joint project and what it will be backed by or how they're formulated or whatever, not quite sure. But what's the probability of them coming together with their strengths, what happen to be in their natural resources, as well as a lot of other commodities that they're probably naturally rich in and formulating some type of, uh, I guess, foundation to build upon that reinstates trust back into their, their own transactions amongst themselves, not having to be dependent upon the dollar? What's the probability of that happening, you think? Well, it can certainly happen in time. The probability over time is, you know, just about anything. But the question really to look at is how much time is that going to take for a currency to have value? It, you know, if it's a fiat currency, it has to have trust. Well, it's going to take a long time to build that kind of trust. If it's like you're talking about, it's based in commodities, gold, whatever. Um, you still got to have trust. And I think, and it's, I think it's going to be, that's a long uphill push realistically, because you have to get the, the currency broad enough, accepted enough nations and enough of it out there that it can handle world trade. And the amount of volume that the dollar handles is, you know, astronomical. And to get enough currency out there to replace that's going to take a long time to get enough trust in there. So it can happen over time as the United States keeps whittling down the dollar by weaponizing it and things like that. But I think you have to realize it's not going to be a dollar crash where the dollar is just down and some other currency, you know, rises like the Phoenix and looks glorious. I think what's more than likely to happen is that the dollar and, you know, the West will come together with a currency plan of their own that, you know, as we move towards central bank digital currencies that will replace the dollar, not so much by the dollar crashing as just these other currencies melding together into some creation of their own. This gets down to the countervailing forces I was talking about. Because of the divide now between East and West, you've got the, the um, BRICS nations, like you say, trying to create a counter currency. But then you get a countervailing force right back from the West that says, well, we don't want to see that happen. And they're going to fight back. And they've got really strong currencies already with the pound and the euro and the Swiss franc and the dollar. They got a lot they can push together, right, if they decide they wanted to do that compared to the yuan and the ruble and then whatever's out there with Argent, you know, with Brazil or whatever. So now that, that, that counter pushback that you referenced between the East and West. And so if the West do respond based upon whatever comes about from the BRICS nations in the next couple of weeks or months on this side with the G seven nations in particular, there's not much that they can offer the world at this current moment, because everything that has been, that they've built up has been debt based. And so it's one thing that if, you know, Russia, China all put something on the table, oil, gold or mineral, rare minerals or whatever, 
on the West, what exactly we're we going to offer manufacturing, which is not even present at this current moment. So it'd be hard to, to, to continue the trust when there's not much really they can bring to the table, according to what, you know, from what I'm seeing, but I could be hundred percent wrong, but what are you thinking? Well, I mean, those are, are solid points like gold is solid versus fiat currency that, you know, can evaporate in a poof. In reality, there's a lot of trust still banked in those things. And while the Federal Reserve does not deserve that trust, it hasn't deserved that trust for decades, and yet it still has it. I mean, I wouldn't have trusted the Fed back when I first started writing the Great Recession blog. That was 13 years ago, you mm -hmm. know. And my point that whole time has been why the Fed is shouldn't be trusted on these things. But the bulk of the people out there keep trusting it because let's face it, you know, mom and dad out there buying popsicles for the kids aren't thinking about the value of the dollar or where it comes from. They're just spending it. And so long as the politicians are looped around the fingers of the Fed, the Fed are going to keep doing what they're doing and people are going to keep spending dollars. And that's not something that easily where that kind of trust breaks down because most people aren't thinking about it like you and I are. They're just, you know, going to a ball game and here's my money. And uh, so, you know, but the, but the uh, the West is working on, you know, some currencies of their own that can make a big, big game changer here with the central bank digital currencies, the CBDCs you hear talked yeah. about. This is all the big news. And China's already done that with its yuan. So they're in that game too. And, you know, other currencies are doing it, I'm sure, that are part of the BRICS nations. But you have a lot of talk right now in Europe and in the United States about going to a CBDC. And it just recently in the past week's news, we have two stories that I found really interesting coming together. Um, one of them was the head of the UN saying, we need to create a universal ID for people and we need to tag that to their bank accounts. I'm like, hold it. Why do I want the UN having a universal ID number for me and tagging it to my bank account? What the heck is that about? That was a pretty bold statement. And that was like one of his three big objectives that the UN's working towards. And then you had the IMF saying, we need to make sure that the central bank digital currencies that you know Europe's rolling out, the United States, others, that they're all integrated so that they will, you know, commerce can happen globally. It needs to be a global central bank digital currency system. Well, hold it. Now you bring all that together, a global central bank digital currency system. Well, together with a little tag to your bank account, that's a lot of centralized control. And I think that's the direction they're going to try to push things is to get you know everybody basically in the West and maybe ultimately the East tagged into this system where we're using a cashless, cashless kind of currency. Now, there's a lot of trust to be overcome there. But as we move to, you know, generations that are used to the computer and into a world where we're doing everything more and more by computer. There's a lot of demand for digital currency and everything's done digitally anyways. So that need for most people for hard cash has been diminishing for a long time. I think you're going to see a big push in that direction. Yeah. Now you mentioned just the merger of your ID with you know, your finances under a centrally control entity that is more than likely going to be borderless i.e. with the UN, you know, trying to push this in IMF. And so this definitely plays into a lot of, you know, biblical 
uh, issues that a lot of people are concerned about for the future of the idea of the, the mark of the beast and things like that. People love right. to use and reference. And so I think these events are on that pathway, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. I mean, I've never seen it look more on that pathway, right? I mean, we used to talk about, well, someday we're going to have a cashless society and we'll have a chip in our hand or something like that. But we didn't hear the United Nations just openly saying we need to have everybody tag everybody's bank account tied to their ID. And we didn't hear them saying we need to make sure all the cashless systems in the world work. Now they're just openly talking about this stuff. They used to hear, well, the Bilderbergers are talking about this or the World Economic Forum is. Well, you never heard them actually talking about it. You just heard people talking about them talking about it. And you're like, well, where does that conspiracy come from? Now they have no problem putting it out there in their videos. It's, you know, you can find World Economic Forum videos all over the place saying this. You can see the UN guy standing right there saying, this is what we need to have. We need to tag everyone's bank account. And one of the reasons for doing that is, you know, if the next pandemic comes along, we need a ID so we can find out if, you know, people have been vaccinated and whatnot. We want them to come into their country. Well, okay. I kind of saw that coming with Bill Gates and his plan. So, you know, why does it need to be tagged to my bank account? Oh, well, maybe because, you know, if you don't get vaccinated, we need to be able to throw the switch somehow. You got to yeah. wonder, right? I mean, why does it need to be tagged to my bank account? If you want to have a, a universal ID for identifying me crossing borders, why do you need to have that stuck to my bank account? That sounds like some serious leverage there. I mean, I can't see any other reason to do it. You know, and then you get, well, the IMF people say, well, we need to, you know, we want it all integrated with the central bank digital currencies. That's why we want them to work smoothly together. So right. you got some crazy stuff happening. And it's just it's just in the news. And one of the reasons I went to writing, you know, the dailynoon.com instead of the Great Recession blog, an old antiquated name, is the news today seems to be full of weird stuff all the time. What we used to think was weird, it used to be like, well, you know, 20 years ago, I thought that was weird. Now it's starting to happen. Now it's like two years ago, that was weird. Now it's starting to happen. And then today, I got something more like, well, you know, in the news, in my column today, where one day ago it was weird and, and now it's mainstream news. Yeah. You know, yeah. Congress is passing a bill to stop the funding of reverse engineering of UFOs that's currently happening and to make it a crime, put people in prison if they are funding for reverse engineering of UFOs and to give amnesty to anybody who comes forward with the information. If you withhold the information, you'll be guilty of a crime. But if you come forward an X amount of time, then you'll be given amnesty if you report the reverse engineering that you know is happening. This is a bill in Congress today. I'm like, okay, yesterday I would have said that's weird and I would have laughed at anybody who told me Congress was going to do that because apparently I didn't get the memo. But today I got it in the news. Right, so. right. And so a lot of things that are mainstream focused now Years ago, we would all have been saying like, oh, that'll never, that'll never be, it'll never be so out and so blatant. And so just recently in New York, there's a parade of a lot of weird activity of, of adults dressed in weird costume with kids around and promoting all types of things that are just, you know, beyond really mentioning at this current moment. But it's just like, wow, nothing surprises me anymore, which is just more of, of the sign of the times of where, where things are heading. And it's getting a lot darker and, and doomy and, and gloomier as we move forward. Oh. And I was just looking up a minute ago. The last time we spoke was in June 18th of 2020. 
And the headline for that was about going cashless. And the tag that I used for the video was, you know, vaccine first and the new digital currency next. And so that was pretty much what we were talking about then. And you were just ahead of the curve sharing, sharing your thoughts on what was coming. And here we are now. It's public news. It's out there. They're promoting it and pushing it. And so now the question is, how long will it take for this to come to fruition fully? And then what will the world look like then? And, and what, if anything, can be done to slow it down or stop it from where, you, from where you're sitting? Yeah. Um, a little harder to say how fast it's going to be because it's all happening so much faster than I would have thought. You know, like, you know, you bring up the the parade or whatever it was in New York. And one of the stories I put out today was the same kind of thing, only was the Pride Parade in Seattle. And I actually recommend people, you know, don't necessarily look at the video because people are flashing their privates all over the place here right in front of kids. But I'm publishing it and saying, you know, throw this away so your kids don't get it. But the only reason I'm putting it there is to document just how, you know, totally sick Seattle society is, because here's a video of a parade with the streets lined as far as you can see with people with their children. And here's a bunch of, you know, people who used to be guys who want to be guys who, you know, whatever, they're all flashing, flashing themselves and standing, you know, within six feet of children. And I'm like, this is just, and all the children, all the parents just sitting there smiling, like this is wonderful and applauding. I'm like, why would you bring your children to that? I wouldn't bring it to a heterosexual parade of guys doing that. It's just, it's right. beyond weird to me. And, you know, but this is Seattle. This is New York City. This is the daily news. This is why I call it the daily doom. It's like, let's just call it what it is because it's just this endless onslaught of a weirder and wackier world. And so, you know, in terms of the currency, how fast are they going to push this forward? Well, I don't know because everything's moving faster and faster than I thought it would, you know? So it could happen a lot faster. And I think if I were to put a reasonable estimate on it, I'd say probably two or three years before they get there. You know, you've got to, first of all, get a CBC, C, uh, central bank digital currency issued in the United States and other countries. And then you got to meld them together, I would think, you know, and it kind of is this process. But I don't know, maybe they just flash it on the world all at once. All you need is the next pandemic in order to create the digital ID system. And, you know, then tag the bank accounts onto that. And there you go. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, uh, two, three years no. or two or three months. All right. Throw now pandemic and we can get this done faster. Right. <laughs> As we draw towards the end, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, strategies, solutions, things that you do or things that you might want to recommend people do to prepare or to, you know, take advantage of opportunities that might be out there because everything is not, everything doesn't have to be doom and gloom. There are opportunities out there, both naturally, physically, spiritually, you name it. What are some things that you're doing to keep sharp and uh, stay on top of your game? Well, it's hard to recommend alternatives now. I mean, it used to be simpler stocks are going to go down. Maybe you want to be in bonds. Maybe you want to be in cash. But now with banks going down, you want to be in cash. Um, You know, you can buy gold and, and things that you're, in a better position to talk to people about than I am, I think, because I don't really follow the gold market that much. But you can do those kinds of things. But I think that the biggest thing you're going to need is your network of people that you know. I think that's probably going to be your most important system because we're all figuring this out as we go. And, you know, you've brought up the Bible and the fact that it says this is the way ultimately things are going to go. 
Well, if it is the way things are ultimately going to go, then you're not going to stop it. So the question is, then how do you prepare yourself for it? Well, if you're going to get locked out of the financial system, you know, you can have gold or silver and try to trade that, but it's always hard to really go out and buy things with gold and silver, but that's probably a good idea to have something you can trade with. Um, I would say, but networks of people that you know and trust, family and friends, where you've got something to share with them, you know, a garden, a field that can grow things, things like that. And they've got something that can share with you. I think what we're going to really need is a network of friends um, and family and churches to find, you know, support for how do we go through this? What's happening? I mean, how do you know? If it, you know, if it progresses to this point, like you were talking about with Revelation and the Mark of the Beast, how do you know at what point the CBDC system is the Mark of the Beast versus just another system? At what point do you want to say, okay, here's where I draw the line. I'm not participating in this at all. You know, um, as soon as it comes out or. Right, right. And, and I think before, and I, so my, so just, you know, my thoughts on that is that, you know, there, there are several and that's where, you know, spiritually speaking, it's good to be, you know, plugged in, i.e., as I say, led by the Holy Spirit. So you'll be able to discern these times because it's one thing to have, like, I guess, natural or, or book knowledge. And it's one thing to have spiritual divine revelation. And so I think there'll be a set of events well before we get to that mark point to where, um, according to the way things are supposed to play out, you know, the, the, the believers will have a better idea as to what what. Uh, that mark might actually be. So I, I, I it'd be hard to say, you know, but based upon what just happened with this whole, you know, experimentation thing, a lot of people probably would also say that I'm not going to ever, but then again, you never know until you're put in that situation. So that's where, you know, spiritually speaking, your faith is going to be one of your greatest you know, assets because it'll get you through a lot of things. So, but that's just my, my personal thoughts there, but here we are now in the midst of, you know, craziness and, you know, it's just the beginning, I think, but you know, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. So, um, but I want to get towards uh, your, your new blog. And so you mentioned about wanting to sw switch things up now. And so what all types of things are you going to cover and, uh, you know, point people back to where they can find out more of your writings and things like that. I'm going to still focus on economics um, because that's where I've spent my, my time and that's the audience I've built. So I want to you know, serve that audience. And I think it's, very central to the type everything that we're talking about here but there's a lot of cultural meltdown stuff that's happening and i've strayed more into that area i don't know yet if my readership will support that maybe they're interested maybe they're like i don't care about your views of gay pride parades and you know other weird stuff going on like children that think they're cats and all this kind of stuff um Maybe they don't want to hear that. I don't know. I'm trying to feel that out and find out. I don't change anything I write based on what people want to hear, but I can change what I choose to cover based on what people are interested in. There's no point in me forcing my views out there on what people don't want to hear. But part of the reason for going to the dailydoom.com was to give myself a little bit more breadth. I needed to flex beyond economics because, you know, 13 years in the dismal science is you got to have something a little bit more interesting to cover sometimes. So I will, but I will be focusing on the economy because I think that's where the bulk of, you know, some of the worst action is happening anyway with what the federal reserve is doing. So the new site is www.thedailydoom.com. And uh, there's a lot of information there that's free. 
I also have a section of headlines for the whole day's news that really covers these kinds of topics. That part, you got to be a paid subscriber to get. Um, and, you know, I just encourage people to go to subscribe if this is the kind of news that you're interested in and you want to see every day what's happening. And I don't just put out, I, I've never been a conspiracy kind of guy, so I don't put out stories that, you know, they're weird. And so here, let's put that one out. They, they got to have some sort of, it's just, it's getting harder to sort out which ones those are because the ones that were conspiracies two years ago now are in the daily news, regular news on mainstream <laughs> news. So it's getting a little harder to sort out, but I try to be, you know, a little bit discerning as to, okay, well, this story, it needs a little more basis before I'm going to put it in there. Um, right. <laughs> so it's a oh. more hard news. Right. Well, no, David, I, I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing updates to your sites because I do follow you. And so definitely it's always great to connect with you. And so I actually went back into our archives. We first connected in 2016. So that was more in the beginning phases of me doing the video uh, commentary yeah. side of things. And I'm also attempting to go through a little shift on my end as well, just because the rethinking the dollar concept is here. Everybody's now talking about the dollar and it's getting kind of old to me because I've been doing it for so long. Right. Now I'm trying to find that pivot point for myself. And it has a lot to do with, you know, geopolitics and, and politics in general from a different, from a different, from a, with a, with a twist uh, referring to, you know, the kingdom of God and a lot of spiritual concepts that I want, I feel led to talk more about. So excited about yeah. that. Got to figure out how to weed that in, but it's one of the things where I, I can't ignore it anymore. So, but that's just me, but um, thank you once again for joining me on RTD interviews, looking forward to connecting with you and having you back on and we'll see what's happening later down the line and uh, plug in then. But once again, thanks for joining us on RTD interviews. Okay. Thanks Mike. It's always fun to talk with you.